and to sing praises to his name and just to, to spend a little time looking into his word and how it applies uh, to us and how we need to, uh, to live better for him. JP did an outstanding job this morning uh, directing our thoughts on a, a church without walls and how uh, we each have the responsibility toward the people that are around us uh, to reach out to them, to, uh, to try to help them, whether it be a spiritual or physical or, or any kind of need that they have. It, it's our responsibility uh, ask Christians to try to reach out and help them to do whatever we can. And so tonight we're going to be looking at that, uh, perhaps from a slightly different angle, but uh, we're going to be looking at that and, and the need for that. And so if you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. That's kind of going to be our, our base verses for tonight's uh, lesson. Uh, and just to give you a little a rundown in Acts chapter 11, what all, uh, what all has gone on so far, uh, the Jews and the, well, the Christians have started kind of to disperse throughout. They have started to fled. Uh, different areas, especially because of persecution. Stephen was stoned, and so they, they fled to, to Cyprus and Phoenicia, and, and we find them here in uh, uh, and and Antioch, and, and they've been there, and Barnabas arrives on the scene, and he starts teaching them, and he starts teaching the Jews, but he also starts reaching out to the Greeks, and he starts reaching out to them, uh, and they start to believe uh, that Christ is the Son of God, and so he starts reaching out to them, and then Saul comes on the scene. Who, he hasn't changed his name to Paul yet, so it's still Saul. And Saul's there, and he starts teaching them. And so for about a year or so, they are there ministering to those people and their needs and teaching them uh, as much as possible. And so they, they are there. And then we find in chapter 12, when we start stepping into the chapter, that King Herod has started to reach out and start to, started to lash out against the Christians. And he starts to noticing that he can gain some big political points uh, with the Jews that aren't uh, the believers, uh, that, that don't believe in Christ. He, he notices after he... Uh, he seizes James, the brother of John, and he puts him to death with the sword that, you know, I can get a lot of points if I keep doing this. And so he gets Peter, and he throws him in prison. And so where we're at in chapter 12 is the night before Peter's about to be brought forth before the Jews, and, and it's possible that this is going to be the, the night before his execution. And so if you want to follow with me on uh, chapter 12, it's page 978 in your pew Bibles, and we're going to be reading and starting in verse 4. And when he had seized him, he had put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But prayer for him was made fervently by by the church to God. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. This, to me, is just a great story of faith. And, And... and the reason that it is is because you, you look at Peter and look at his position. I mean, he's, he's in prison, he's chained, uh, he, you know, his, his brothers, he's separated from his other believers, and he's in there by himself, and you'd be thinking, man, he's, this has got to be pretty bleak for him. And this is the night before his execution, and, and he's asleep. You know, he, he's, you know, he's getting a, a peaceful night's rest, and you've got to be thinking, how is he able to do that? How is he able, the night before, he's about to be executed possibly, he's about to be maybe tortured or put to death in some uh, shape, form, or fashion, how is he able to sleep? And so you start thinking about the background of Peter and what he's seen and what he's done, and you start thinking about his experiences with Jesus. And it, it took me back to when, in Mark chapter 4, we find them on the sea, and we, we find them on the ship, and the ship starts getting tossed around by the waves, and the, and the sea is just, you know, it's real troublesome, and the storm's coming, and all the disciples and Peter, you know, they're all afraid. They're all fearful. They, they don't know what's going on, and they go to find Jesus, and, and they find him asleep. They find him asleep in the stern, and they're like, you know, what are you doing to sleep? You know, don't you know we're about to perish? And, you know, he gently reminds them, 
who his father is and the power that he has. And he calms that storm and he, he reassures their faith. And then another instance with Peter, we, we find him and he's, uh, he sees Jesus walking on the water and he calls out to him and says, you know, if you, if you command me to come out there to you, I will. And Jesus says, come. And so he starts walking out there on the water and he starts looking and he sees the waves and how they're getting, getting big. And he, he sees, you know, the wind, he feels the wind blowing and he starts to have doubt and he starts to sink. You know, but Jesus just quickly reaches out his hand and pulls him back up. And he says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? You know, so, so maybe Peter has finally learned his lesson uh, of faith. And he finally has that faith that's strong enough that no matter if he's going to be put to death and he's going to be, uh, you know, put to death or, or put to death with a sword or, or any uh, way like that, that he's going to be reunited with Christ. Or, or maybe he believes, you know, if I'm saved, then I'll get to spend a little bit more time with the people around me and, and bringing them closer uh, to God and, and teaching them more about Christ. But either way, he was happy and content with his position because we find him asleep. And, but you, you look at that, and then not only that, but the church is meeting, and they're praying for him. I mean, if, if it wasn't for his faith alone, uh, it wouldn't be that, that great. But then you have the church outside, and, and they're praying for him. They're praying maybe possibly for his deliverance, or, or praying for him just to be reassured and to be calm. And just, uh, if anybody ever, has ever had maybe a family member that has had to do, uh, you know, possibly time in prison, and, and the thoughts or the prayers that you may have, you know, for that person, just kind of to magnify this is for a person who's innocent put into prison for, for teaching something that you also believe in and, and believe in and you care about that person. And so people are, you know, they're praying for him. And that's such a, just a strong example of what the church should be. And we're going to get into that just a little bit later. But let's think about a different situation. Let's not, instead of taking, taking Peter out, you put another prisoner in his place. And maybe this prisoner has never even heard of Christ, never has heard of God. Maybe, maybe he's heard a little bit, but he's not so sure. And, and so maybe, you know, this person is staying up at night. He's worried. He, he doesn't know what to expect the next day. He, he thinks he may be put to death. He doesn't know when his last day is going to be, and he's worried. He, he can't go to sleep. He, he thinks about all the stuff that, that's keeping him uh, from, from getting outside that prison. He thinks about maybe what he's done, and maybe he's ashamed of the, maybe ashamed of the past, or, or maybe he's... He's fearful of, you know, what would possibly do if he changed his life. But either way, you take somebody else and you put that in that situation, and you take away the church that's praying for them, and you take away the people that care about him and that worry about him, and that prisoner's alone. And he's got no one to pray for him. He's got no one that he thinks cares for him, and he thinks that there's no hope for him, and that all hope is lost. And you think about that, and it's not a prison that's built... Uh, with bricks or, or, or a prison that has chains in it, but you think about it as a prison of sin. And you think about it as it's not just uh, a prison with walls, but this is a prison in which sin in which this person is held back and does not have a relationship with God. They're, they are lost in their own life, uh, in their own life of sin, something that they've been, you know, maybe they've lived in sin in their whole life and they've never heard uh, of God. And that person is in their own little prison. And maybe, it, maybe the guard in that person is somebody who's holding that person back from, from, from reaching out to, to find a relationship with God. And maybe that person is discouraging them. Uh, maybe that person is, is not wanting them to change because then they realize, too, that they may have to change. And so maybe that's the case. But maybe instead of being someone like the guard, maybe the chains is something that's holding that person back. That something can be an addiction that that person has. That something can be... Uh, a relationship uh, with someone that they don't want to give up. That something can be 
something that he has with a, maybe with a brother that is a believer or a sister that's a believer, or some kind of disagreement that they have that's keeping him from pursuing, pursuing God. Maybe that's holding him back. But there's something or someone who's holding that person back. And you think, that person doesn't have that church praying for him. That person is alone. And you think about how depressing that is. But, but as depressing as that is, and as depressing as that person might be, there's an answer to that. You read on into the story and you start looking, uh, you start looking at, and what happens through there and you see that the angel comes in verse 7 uh, in Acts chapter 12 and how as he comes and the light is shown and that he leads Peter out of that prison and that he opens those big iron gates, they open by themselves and they just walk out. And you think about that and how he had to wake Peter up from that and to lead him out and you think it's the same way for us. It's the same way how Christ comes into our lives as a light and he shines on us. And what it takes for us is to wake up, to follow him, and to do what he commands us to do so we can be let out of that prison. And you think about the people in your life that you know. He talked about responsibility for the people in your life. The responsibility of people that you know, that you talk to every day. And you talk to them and you think about them right now. And you're the person that they're going to be looking to. They may not know it. But you're going to be the person that's going to be lighting the way for them. You're the person that's going to be shining them to Christ, who's going to be that light to them, that's going to, to lead them away from sin. If that person looks in this Bible right here, and they, they see the plan of salvation that God has laid out for them, they may realize that there is a way out of the prison of sin that they're in. They realize that they may, there may be a way out of the life that they've been living their, the entire time they've been here. And that person may be looking at you in a different way now. They're, they're looking at you as somebody who has not only just, just shined light into their life, but is going to help lead them toward an eternal life and help lead them to Christ who's going to save, save everybody from a, a life of sin. And we're going to look at a couple verses. If everybody would like to turn to Romans chapter 6, it's 1003 uh, in the Pew Bibles. Romans chapter 6, we're going to be reading verses 15 through 18. What then, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that, through you, the, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. If you turn in your, your Bibles one more page... And you look at Romans chapter 7, verses 23 through 25. We read, But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. And continuing chapter 8, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You read those two, two sets of verses and you start seeing that, you start seeing the line. You start seeing that Jesus did come here. He did come here to save us. He did come here to lead us away from this sin. You, you look at that, it, and I love how it mentions the iron gate when they started leading them out. You read the story in Peter and you read that they came to Iron Gate. This Iron Gate was not something that one man could, could move or open alone. 
I mean, it would take you know, multiple men to move this. This was going to be a huge, heavy gate. But it opened by itself. It opened under God's power. And just like that person, just like Peter couldn't open that gate, and just like that Peter had to follow God, the people in your life, the people in your lives that, that, that need Christ, the people that you're going to be talking to that need him, they're going to have to have something to follow. And they're going to have to follow the word, and they're going to have to have somebody to teach him how to do that, but they're going to have to have somebody to help them get there. They're going to have to have somebody that can help them you know, carry that load and to get them to that iron gate and to help them to open that iron gate up so they can, get, so they can become free from the, from the prison of sin. They're going to need that help, and they're going to need you. We keep, looking into the, we keep looking into the scriptures, and we can see countless examples of people who, who led, left their lives of sin and, and decided to follow Christ, and, and it ended up changing their life. For some of the disciples, it, it meant leading to death. You think about James, it, it led to his, his death. But that death, was going to a, that death was the beginning of another life, an eternal life with, uh, with a heavenly father that he's going to be spending eternity with. But you think about Judas, who also decided to follow him, but, but failed, and, and due to his own, uh, his own heart and his own wickedness, he chose something different, and he sold out. And then he perished after he decided that he, was, you know, he couldn't live with his guilt, so he, he committed suicide, and we just think about how terrible that is, that that person, that, that Judas gave up. But there's people in your lives every day that are giving up on Christ. There are people that used, maybe used to come here to church that you haven't seen in a long time, uh, that you haven't seen out and about, and maybe you see them at the grocery store or something, and you'd be like, man, I hadn't seen that person in a long time. You know, maybe that person has given up on Christ in their life. Maybe they've given up on people caring about them. Maybe they've given up on themselves. And that's why we, we talked about responsibility this morning and how it's our responsibility to look around us at the people that, that we come to church with, church with and realize that, you know, we're responsible for them. We're responsible for, for making sure that, you know, that person stays strong in the faith and then if they start weakening, that, that we are there for them. Because we start reading to Peter and it's not just... Peter, who's strong in faith, but we talked about earlier about how the church was praying for them. You know, I, could, I can't think of anything, I mean, there's lots of things that you can do for a person, but prayer has got to be one of the most powerful things you can do. There was a, a quote when I was reading through this, and it was in my, my side notes, and it was said, an angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. I mean, that's such, I mean, that's such a great quote for this, and it's such a strong message and if you haven't taken the time to pray for the people that are in El Salvador, not just our, not just our mission team, but the people that are lost there, then I encourage you to do that you know, tonight after services, that, that you go back to your house and then you take the time to pray for them. And the, and the elders here at Mount Juliet are great because they recognize the need for missions. They recognize the need for people to hear the word of God. And what's great is that this coming summer we have our stateside mission trip. The area that we're going is Mount Juliet. It's here in Mount Juliet. And, and, and you have a great opportunity to become you know, part of something that's so much greater than ourselves. You, know, you become part of something that, that shines as a light into a place of darkness. And you think about Mount Juliet and all the people in that area. And so we're going to get pamphlets ready, little booklets. We're going to try to knock as many doors as we can to talk to as many people as we can, to save as many souls as we can. And that's going to be our goal for Stateside Mission Trip. And that's something that you can help out with. 
in this area. And that can help out with prayer, or maybe you want to help, you know, maybe you want to partake in the door knocking, or, or maybe you want to, you know, try to, to meet people and maybe sign up, trying to get them involved with Bible studies. But that's something that we're going to have that I hope that you're going to be praying about. I hope that you're going to be thinking about, and I hope that's going to be something that you're going to be involved in. Because if you're, if you recognize, you know, the prison of sin that you're, that you were in, and you recognize, you know, your state of the soul and how you were lost, but, but, you know, but then you recognize that Jesus came and he saved you. And so if you recognize how bad sin was and recognize how great Jesus was for coming to save you, then you would recognize how great the need is to share that message with other people. To go, I mean, and it may be hot when we go, and it may be something that you get tired of walking, but I can guarantee you any kind of trouble that we suffer here on earth to try to reach out with the gospel and teach it to other people, I mean, we were going to be rewarded for, you know, quadruple fold, if that's even a word, in heaven. I mean, we are going to be so blessed for trying so hard for him. And I know that that something that the elders are really caring about is not just, you know, El Salvador, which is a great trip, and we're so glad about this area and the, and the people around you. And why that's so important is because you have people that you talk to every day. You have coworkers. You have people that, that, that maybe that you see at the grocery store all the time. Maybe it's somebody who checks you out all the time. Maybe it's the person that, that you go and you talk you know, to it when you pay gas and you see them, you know, once a week. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's the person that's sitting down the pew from you. Maybe it's, you know, somebody in your life that needs this message, that needs this gospel, and that needs Jesus. And they need you to show it to them. They need you to, to light the way for them because they not, may not recognize it. They may not know that there's a God who loves them and that there's a Christ who died for them. And they need your help to show them that way. Tonight, you know, maybe you, you've recognized that, you know, I have kind of shortchanged God. I have not committed everything to him that I should have. I haven't given him my whole heart in trying to reach out to the people that are around me. And, and I'm sorry for that. And so if you feel like that's you tonight, you know, then the front pew is open for you to come and to, to ask for prayers, not only just for strength, but for forgiveness and uh, and so the front pew is open for that for you. And, and if you decided that, you know, I hadn't even taken the first step to recognize Christ as my Savior. I hadn't even, you know, taken the steps of salvation that I know are right so that I could become a child of God. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you need to be on the front row for that tonight. And that you want to make that decision and make that commitment tonight. And we want you to know that, you know, at the invitation song, is not the only time that you can come forward for those two things. We want you to know that you, the elders here, the ministers, we would love to talk to you 24-7, you know, every day of the week. If you have a spiritual need that you need to come and to talk about our doors or our phones, I mean, just try to reach us and contact us because we'll want to help you in any way we can. We love each person here. We love the people that come in through those doors, and we love the people in the community because we want them to be here as much as we want to be here ourselves. And so if this is one, of, if that's something that you need to do tonight, and if you recognize that I don't need to wait, then you can come forward tonight as we stand and as we sing.